Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Android Central podcast for Friday, March 16th, 2018. My name is Daniel Bader. It's great to be back in the studio in Toronto. And this week, I'm joined by Andrew Martnick. How are you, man? Doing even better now that you are back in the saddle for the podcast. It's been what? It's been a solid month since we've had a regular podcast with you at the helm, right? Yeah, I think so. We we had a couple drunken Gemini podcasts. Well, it seemed like two, but it was actually one really long one in Barcelona. And then last week, you and Alex kind of took over and did a live podcast again. And I think it went really well. I enjoyed yeah. the hell out of it. I listened to Me it on too. my flight home from South Africa. It was uh, a 20-hour overall flight experience, two flights, 20 hours in the air. And unfortunately, yours was only an hour, so I had 19 hours left. Yeah, sorry about that. No, I, I think um, I think next time you should just go longer. Try to fill up that entire space. Hey, so what you and everybody else that listens wants. <laughs> Russell Hawley, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me back. You're gearing up for GDC next week? I am. I'm going to play all of the video games. What was that backpack Every... thing that you were wearing today in, in your Twitters? <laughs> that... That is a full desktop PC uh, mounted to a cooling partition, uh, which has a backpack strap, which in theory is for, quote unquote, wireless virtual reality applications. Okay. Made by, so, uh, made by HP. Tons of wires. They just go into a backpack. No, this instead is of it's, the wall. it's battery powered. Right. The wires, what? yeah. So the wires just go into the 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 wires go from the headset to the backpack, but the backpack itself has two massive like car batteries almost on the side <laughs> to to keep the the desktop running at VR performance for like for like two and a half hours. So this uh, is for it, things like Oculus Rift and Vive, right? Right. Yeah. And you so can I'd move around. To, but really, really I I kind of want to. Uh, I kind of want to do something not VR with it. Like I want to, I want to set it to render a video or something, and then just like walk <laughs> down the street and just just be walking through a mall or something while this thing on my back renders a video or something absurd like that. As part of my test, I'm going to do something silly. People will look up and be like, "Where are those fans coming from? There must be a there must be a plane overhead." I am. It's just it's the worst jetpack. I'm just a very poor jetpack pilot. So I went to South Africa and I went to South Africa right after I did, um, I did, uh, MWC. So I was away for about three, three weeks. I wanted a really light and, uh, powerful laptop. So I got the new Lenovo, um, ThinkPad X1 Carbon, really highly renowned Windows laptop, great specs. But when that thing gets going, rendering stuff, you basically just have to leave the room. It's so loud. It's as, yep. it's absurd. Like I know is my Mac. Is it as loud as the razor blades that uh, Alex it's and Mark have? Yeah, their their computers sound. It, it's basically like a white noise machine, except the wrong frequency when they're rendering video. So now that I mean, I know a lot of people were all about. Um, they were kind of upset at the idea of Intel's. Why chips moving to fanless because they're not as powerful, but there is something to be said for a fanless PC because those things make a big difference. Just saying. and hey, by the way, not that many people are rendering video on their laptops. I don't have to be rendering video to make those fans start going crazy. 
Oh, That's, geez. That was, it was just me blogging. I know my blogging is hot, <laughs> but still. You had, you had seven whole Chrome tabs open. Yeah, I five, gigs of, five yeah. gigs of uh, RAM used with those seven tabs. Um, anyway, let's talk about Android. Let's talk about the world of Google. This has been a relatively slow week after the lots of, you know, the Galaxy S9 uh, and all the other announcements from Barcelona. Last week, Alex and Andrew talked mostly about the Galaxy S9 and Android P developer preview one, which was really cool, actually. I, I, I'm excited about this. Um, nothing like that this week. We're going to talk a little bit about the Galaxy S9 and our thoughts. It is on sale today. That's Friday, March 16th. But Russell and I both have one new, new in pocket. So, we'll Jeez, talk about that. Welcome to the welcome to the club. Took you long enough. I know. Yeah, well, we seriously. don't all get them handed out to us <laughs> well, at sketchy restaurants in Barcelona with like massive shrimp walking by. Yeah, it was it was not a sketchy restaurant. But yeah. It was not actually. It was and, it, I, I I it was actually a really nice restaurant. It was beautiful. Um but we'll start with something that was in the news this week as follow-up. And I don't know. This roller coaster has been very odd. This is all about the Qualcomm Broadcom. And now President Trump, uh, tr- like, move, controversy. Um, let, let's start from the beginning. Broadcom, as it stands today, is not really the Broadcom of yesteryear. It's a an amalgamation, basically a, a just a sort of like a hedge fund of all of these different chip manufacturers that um, the Singapore Singapore parent company bought and consolidated into what we know as Broadcom. Broadcom wanted to do a hostile takeover of Qualcomm, back and forth, back and forth. Price wasn't right. The, Which was always weird because Qualcomm was larger than Broadcom. It is, and Broadcom would have had to borrow billions of dollars to pay for this deal, but yet they kept undercutting Qualcomm and they said things that didn't make Qualcomm's board very uh, confident in the deal. For for instance, they wanted to cut a whole bunch of R&D and Qualcomm wanted in writing that uh, that, that wouldn't happen, that it, any cuts would have to be sort of minor and, and have to be peted out, meted, uh, meted out over time. Anyway, this went back and forth. We had so many press releases come across our desks over the last few weeks talking about how Qualcomm issued another, um, you know, had another conversation with with Broadcom's board or Broadcom's managers and that they were basically playing around. They weren't serious. They kept on offering, uh, they kept offering per stock prices that were way too low. And then... Uh, the um, after a an investigation by the United States Committee on Foreign Investment, which looks into prospective deals and sees whether they have any implications on uh, security and um, any implications for kind of uh, the the U.S. public and the government and. This basically came back and said that there would be sec- there there would be public security issues if Broadcom took over 
Qualcomm because just the number of patents that Qualcomm owns, the number of deals that they have with other um, with, with manufacturers, for instance, there would be huge implications here. So President Trump himself actually signed a deal prohibiting the takeover of Qualcomm by Broadcom. Um, a lot of hot takes have been written about this over the last few weeks mm-hmm. or over the last few days, Andrew. But what's your take on this? Why, why did the government actually step in here and essentially uh, prevent this deal from ever happening? Well, it's very interesting because, like you said, the deal has kind of been in this this seesaw, and it doesn't. I mean, it feels like it's gotten a little closer. Uh, it got a little closer to potentially getting done, but it still really didn't seem like it was happening. Really, um, it was going to be a lot of there. There still needed to be a lot of details to hash out, but. It really just seems like another very U.S. company protective move. And usually, as as we know, in the past uh, 15 years or so, the best way to get something to just go through and not get a lot of pushback is to cite national security concerns. And that's kind of just the, the way that it works. Um, I think my take is the same as a lot of people's in the uh, mobile industry is, we really don't think that this deal should have gone through because it's going to it's going to hurt innovation it's going to take out a lot of competition it's going to potentially gut a lot of what makes qualcomm awesome in terms of the r&d that it does and all of the technology it's created but this is not this is not the reason why it should not have gone through i think national security concerns were pretty pretty low on the list of reasons why you would sign an executive order to not allow the deal to go through. And the interesting thing that I thought was it goes beyond just saying this deal cannot go through. It's also says that nobody from Broadcom can sit on Qualcomm's board. Uh, Qualcomm and Broadcom can't have any discussions about any sort of, excuse me, licensing or potential partial takeovers or anything like that. It, it stops these two companies from interacting, basically, for fear that it will one day lead to a further takeover or cooperation. And that just that just seems crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely in line with a lot of the current administration's uh, protectionist moves uh, when it comes to national security. And a lot of people have cited the fact that the government essentially pressured AT&T and Verizon into not carrying the Huawei Mate 10 right. Pro, but that's just a device. We're also, what's more important is that no U.S. carriers are allowed, not in writing, but it's basically understood to buy or use any Huawei or ZTE network equipment, given yeah. that Huawei has ties to the Communist Party in China. But Broadcom is a Singaporean entity. It's not a uh, Chinese entity. And the CEO of Broadcom had said many times in the past couple of months that it was actually planning on moving its headquarters to California. I so think that it that's would almost become a U.S. company. Actually, right. It's going to be completed in in April. So that's not really the main thing. It's not about a foreign government-affiliated company buying a U.S. company. 
what I've read and what I think this mainly comes down to is 5G. Um, Qualcomm is the leader in 5G patents. It has It's ahead of the game all over the world when it comes to deployment of commercially ready 5G uh, chips. It has had an enormous hand in finalizing the 5G NR standard, which was ratified at the end of last year. And the concern here is that by diluting any of the U.S.-ness, the American um, presence of Qualcomm, it would be less competitive with other major 5G companies like Samsung and namely Huawei. So we get back to these co- these companies from China that have enormous influence in the way that 5G is growing and will grow in the next few years. And Qualcomm is standing alone in the U.S., because we all know that Intel's doing fuck all, and I'm going to swear on this podcast, um, when it comes to 5G. So, 5G and, is and, the one thing that can make you use profanity. I love it. It's also, what's so interesting about this is that <laughs> in the days leading up to this uh, prohibition by the Trump administration, it had been rumored that Intel was actually looking into buying Broadcom. Like, this is all coming full circle, because Qualcomm has all of these enormous, like the, the stash of 5G patents that, that Qualcomm has is insane. Um, not to mention the fact that R&D is going crazy at within Qualcomm. Intel wants a piece of that. Intel can't buy Qualcomm. It just doesn't have, it just, it just, it, it wouldn't work. The, the antitrust would be over the moon. Yeah. But when it comes to Broadcom, which is, it's adjacent in what it produces. It's mostly, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, um, the the chips that aren't essential to cellular connectivity, but are sensors that we need in our phones and many other IoT equipment. They're I think that would have been a really good every thing. mobile device. Yeah, Broadcom it would have been a, a slice of everything. Fit. And we may see it happen. I don't know. Intel could still go through with this acquisition. Who knows? And Intel is a uh, much larger company than Broadcom or Qualcomm in terms of uh, their value market capitalization. It's like a quarter of a trillion dollars. It is, yeah. Although, didn't it get surpassed? Didn't its chip business just get surpassed by Samsung's in the last quarter? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, uh, Samsung's chip business isn't just making Samsung chips; it's making you know they fab Qualcomm's chips too. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Intel obviously has much larger and wider reaching businesses as well, which would kind of you know would make it possible to take over something like Broadcom without there being massive antitrust concerns. So I went to San Diego a few weeks ago to learn all about 5G from Qualcomm. This is a company that is extremely proud to the point of hubris about its position in uh, the upcoming 5G race. And the fact that nobody, including myself, can really tell you how 5G is going to overhaul the way that we use our devices today speaks to the difficulty in trying to sell this idea of why it's so important. Um, You know, I'm excited about the potential for 10 gigabit connectivity. Sure, fine, whatever. But what's going to be hard for these companies is to convince the everyday consumer to care about 5G the way that it was so easy for them to make us care about LTE. Because in the in the 
first or second year of 5G's launch, the speed increases and the latency decreases are not going to be as significant as they were for LTE. Um, and this is really going to have wider implications for IoT and self-driving cars, drones, all of these things, devices that need to talk to one another autonomously without any human interaction. So that's really not going to take effect until, I don't know, 2024, 2025. So these are long-term plans here. And that's why the the deal with Qualcomm would have had such enormous implications for the the chip business in the U.S. Anyway, that's I, I'm so I, I'm super excited about this. I really find it fascinating. Um, I'm I'm concerned that the Trump administration stepped in preemptively, but that's you know that's neither here nor there um, because the deal is dead. So mm-hmm. that's it, um, Russell. Are you still there? Does this does this matter to you? Wait, wake up, Russell. <laughs> yeah, I was I was expecting him to go. What? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm still here. No, um, I mean I was paying attention. There's really not anything that I can add that you two didn't. This is it, it's a fairly black and white thing until we know more about either why the administration made that decision or uh, you know what other options are available to Broadcom. There's not a ton else really to contribute. You know what I can contribute though, which is kind of hilarious. Um, I'm looking at the the article that Andrew wrote about this, the the one that explains why the Trump administration blocked the deal. Oh, and God, did halfway, I make a mistake? No, no, no. And halfway oh. down the page, we have a Make America Great Again ad. With oh, a, this is wonderful. A, a, one of the, the famous MAGA red hats. Um, so that's a thing. Make 5G great again. Yeah, yeah, let's the do that. The first time. Um, Russell... I do have a question for you, though. Uh, your your Galaxy S9, which color did you buy? Lilac purple. Really? Yeah, I got lilac. So I got, uh, because I'm doing a bunch of tests with, uh, with the S9 and the S9 Plus, respectively, I got the S9 in lilac purple and the S9 Plus in the blue, whose name I can't remember. Um, it's coral, coral blue, blue or the blue coral, coral blue. Uh, because uh, I had already seen the blue from a bunch of pictures that Andrew took and realized that very much like the Pixel 2, uh, the blue was very underwhelming. But the purple for the S9 is way better than the purple we got for the S8. Yeah. And I am, uh, I'm taking a hard stance, man. I'm, I want colorful phones in my life. Purple is not my favorite color. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to start putting my money... Uh, in into colorful phones this year. This is I've, if, I've complained about this for a long time. You're investing in purple. For, I'm if it investing for in that colors. purple color. Uh, this would be a really boring set of colors because the blue is way more muted than before. Yeah. They call it coral blue, but the previous coral blue was like this bright, uh, almost turquoisey kind of blue. And the the what is it? Slate gray, whatever it is. Orchid super gray. boring. You're There's so very wrong. little difference You're between so the wrong. slate gray oh and the coral blue. There is just oh. very little difference between this. There, it, it, uh, all right, I'll put it this way. If you catch the coral blue version of the phone in a very specific light, it looks very nice. But you have sure. to catch it in that particular light. If you catch it in like almost all of the indoor lighting that I have, it looks almost exactly like the Pixel 2's Eeyore gray, boring, bland nonsense. <laughs> so, Seriously. Daniel, what color do you have? Okay, so Canada only got the lilac purple 
and the slate gray this year. So we don't have the blue and we don't have the black, which sucks because I like both of those colors better than either of the ones that we have here. Rem- That's remember crazy last to year, not have black. The S8, we, we had the orchid gray and the US market didn't until way later. Um, or not at all, actually, right? No, we had we had orchid gray. What did we have then? Coral blue? No, we had a we had a color that the US market didn't have. We had there was a coral version. It was just called coral and it had like a like a color band that was the different from the pink. glass. Yeah, it was the blue and pink combination. Because it had mm. the it had the pink band around it with the the bluish glass. And we didn't get that until much later. Okay. Whatever. So what one 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 I mean all that aside, I love the orchid gray color of the S8. I'm sad that the lilac purple is so, I would, I'm going to say garish because I, I do not like that at all. Um, and I was, and I, it, I kind of harkened back to the conversation we had around the Pixel 2's kind of blue color where Russell Dior said gray. that you didn't like it at all. It was too muted, but that's my Dior jam. Gray. I think it's beautiful and so much better than the, than the, what was that? The, original pixel blue called very stupid blue. blue what like tardis blue the most amazing sh- the perfect shade of blue yeah perfect my it's but. the exact same shade of blue as the the top bar in inbox so it actually matched <laughs> some of their actual products instead Are of you this serious slate. right now yes that it's the same you, shade of blue it gets you hot yeah i like vibrant colors I don't I don't like boring colors. I I was not born with a full set of crayons. I they only gave me the neons. I don't know what to tell you. Well, can I can say that the the black one is is pretty nice, but it's very boring and it it actually shows scratches pretty well on the back. Usually you think of the black one can, you know, hide that, but it really doesn't. It shows off the scratches and I have many 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 scratches on mine already. So I the color aside, Russell. I'm I'm interested in which version you like better because of the three of us. You're the only one that is consistently, I guess, the only one that has the smaller and larger size in front of you right now. So far, I am more comfortable holding the smaller S9. Uh, I, I think if I were to use the S9 Plus for a longer period of time, I would want to put it in a case right away. Uh, just because it doesn't really fit in my hand super well, and I'd be afraid of dropping it, uh, which is different from how I felt about the Pixel 2 and Pixel 2 XL because the the Pixel 2 has that kind of grippy back to it. Not like super grippy, but grippier than glass. Uh, and that's that's the phone that I'm most recently coming from. So I... Uh, I would probably, if I like not knowing right now about like battery life or anything like that, just pure comfort in my hand, I would probably go with the S9. You know, battery life. Come on. I, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wait. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait until I've actually used it. I got all week at GDC, uh, for this thing to let me down. It's going to let me down the good old fashioned way. And then I'm going (laughs) to reach into (laughs) my bag. It's, that's exactly right. And then, uh, I'll reach into my backpack and probably grab my pixel again. Mm, I've been tempted already. It's kind of weird, but I'm 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 getting there. I've been using Expand the S9 that, Plus please. for no, I have. I've been I've been using the S9 Plus for the last uh, three days. So I got I got back from my trip and I switched out my SIM card immediately. And I'd been using the baby Pixel Two the entire time I was away. This thing, I, I mean, we 
at Android Central and everybody in the Android community typically switches out his or her phones pretty often, right? The SIM cards don't stay in a, in a SIM slot for very long. And that's our benefit, right? We get to try new things. It's really fun. But at the end of the day, when you're just trying to like, especially when you're traveling, you just want something that works. You don't want something that's going to flake out on you. And the Pixel 2 has been the best phone I have ever used for that, for the consistent experience, consistent speed, consistent stability. And honestly, this thing got me through so many um, days of use. And yeah, I had to top it up every once in a while, right? I wasn't in my home network. Um, I was swapping between roaming you know, uh, roaming deals. So I would go between a couple of carriers in a day, all these things wear down the battery. So that didn't really bother me. The camera just blew me away. So when I got home, I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a, um, a a really, I'm going to try to be as objective as I can, but honestly, so far I haven't really been that impressed with it. And these are my reasons. And there's, there, there are usability reasons, really. The first thing is that the volume slider is way too far up the left side of the phone. So on the S9 Plus, I constantly have to readjust my hand every time I want to switch, I, I want to adjust the volume. But hey, you can hit the Bixby button easily. And I do that very often, which makes me crazy because I've disabled it and it does nothing. Even though I like Dan Seifert's uh, he, he mentioned in his review that it becomes kind of a fidget button when you disable yeah. it, which I like. <laughs> um, but not it doesn't make me happy because it just reinforces the fact that it's still there. It's actually, if I could add to that, it's the fact that you can, you can get up and reach the volume down button, but you have to completely shift your hand to hit the volume up button. So it's... It, it's ridiculous that you could only you can only get volume down otherwise you have to scramble around to get your thumb up there for the up yep absolutely second thing is that um and we haven't really talked about this yet but last year with the infinity display that was the big story right the reduction of bezels the galaxy s8 sa plus debuted a little bit after the lg g6 but that was the beginning of the trend and up until the iphone 10 came out that was the main story about phones in 2017 the reduction of bezels the expansion or the 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 uh the change in aspect ratio from 16 by 9 to 18 by 9 or 18 by 5 18.5 by 9 and once the iphone 10 came out it was all about the notch right so we're looking at the same design in a different way this year because so much of the android community is looking at the future and the future of the android we now know with Android P is going to be the notch, right? We're going to see phones released with, uh, with, with the the horns, as Renee likes to call them, where the sides of the phone come up to the top, but there's going to be a little space for all the sensors in the front-facing camera. So in light of that, looking at the Galaxy S8, I like it better. I actually think it's a better design. And then I get to the sides of the phone, and I I'm just reminded how from a usability perspective, the curved glass is actually a hindrance to my ability to enjoy this phone. Every time I swipe in from the left side of the screen to access a, a hamburger menu, it doesn't work. So I can't do it. And it's that it's those kinds of interactions where I, I have to physically tap on the the three the three lines to open it. It seems like it's a minor thing, but I do it dozens of times a day. 
And, and that's an S9 Plus thing as well. It this, is an S9 Plus. Uh, the S, on the, the smaller S9. one is not, not nearly as difficult. But Russell, like, the, here's the other thing. The S9 and S9 Plus, there are major differences this year. The RAM, the, the second camera, there's a reason you want to go with the S9 Plus rather than the S9. Whereas last year, those reasons weren't as, um, weren't as important because internally they were largely identical. Maybe. I mean, everything that we saw from Andrew's review about the second camera is that it's really academic. Like, it doesn't really get you a whole lot extra, given how good the primary camera is. And I haven't found any reason to need six gigs of RAM on this phone yet. Like, I I went through and pushed kind of my normal buttons to see what I could do to stress these phones out uh, after I took them out of the box. And there's no visible difference in performance comparing these two phones. I can't find anything that justifies the the upgrade for those extra two gigs, at least not yeah, yet. My biggest thing on the RAM is that Samsung is running the exact same software on the two phones. And by putting only four gigabytes in the smaller Galaxy S9, it, it's funnily kind of hamstring, like it kind of hamstrings the Galaxy S9 Plus because it's going to be running the exact same software. Uh, which is, you know, that's kind of funny, but it, it's more of a future proofing than, than anything. I, I agree with Russell that I don't think that the, the Ram is as big of a, as big of a deal. It'll probably matter in a year and a half or two years, maybe a little bit, uh, whether or not you would notice is a, is another question. I don't know if I would notice. I don't know if anybody can notice. We've, we've talked about this for so long. It seems so OnePlus weird that they 5. added it really. Yeah, I mean, we we saw with the get with the Note Eight as well. I don't think anybody thought the Note Eight was a faster phone than the Galaxy S Eight Plus. Slower than the Pixel, or the Pixel. <laughs> the only thing that I can think of, and this is this is maybe a little too forward thinking, but it could also be kind of back channel conversations. Uh, a big part of what's coming in the next version of Android is native support for multiple cameras being run at the same time for for a bunch of different applications. And that would mean that uh, phones like the the S9 Plus and the the Note 8 would be able to use both cameras for things like uh, native depth sensing or using the front camera and the back camera at the same time for for kind of uh, real-time video splicing. Uh, and those things are things that would functionally require more RAM in order to, to work well and to work at the, the higher resolutions that we're used to these phones working at. But there's nothing in this software right now that that leads me to believe that that the the six gigs is necessary. So I I, I find it difficult to believe that Samsung is is thinking that proactively ahead, given, given our experiences with their software in the past. But that could end up being something that matters later. So the three major differences: the the amount of RAM, the second camera, and the slightly larger battery. Um, Andrew, the increase in price in the U.S. is around $120, right? Yes. Is that worth it to you, or is it just the physical size of the phone that's the advantage? The, the way that I explained it was uh, there are two parts, and it's mostly uh, hinges on the physical part of it. Um, one, just can you handle the size? As you pointed out, there are issues with trying to get up to that volume rocker, trying to reach things in the top left side when you're right-handed, which is most people. Um, if you can handle those things, 
then the you know the larger screen real estate and the extra battery life really does make a difference and is worth that extra let's be honest two dollars a month or whatever it's gonna cost you um not necessarily 120 dollars over the you know up front because that's just how people buy phones right now i think that if you if you can handle the size the extra size is worth it um if you can't don't worry about that second camera and the extra RAM as much as physically, you know, holding and using the phone is far more important than, oh my God, I don't have this secondary camera that's, you know, honestly not all that useful. Okay. So then let's talk about, let's take a step back and talk a little bit about strategy. So why is Samsung moving in this direction? We've seen them go back and forth over the years trying to make the We've only had a couple years of plus models, but with uh, back at the Galaxy S6, um, we had the S6 and then S6 Edge. The only major difference there was the S6 Edge was was edgy. It had, it had the curved screen, and it was a hundred dollars more. The S7 was uh, the S7 Edge was or S7 Edge Plus. Am I? Th- is it? It's plus, right? No, it's just the S7, S7 Edge. and the My S7 God. Edge. It's been the so Edge long. just happened to be much larger. Yeah, right. So it was a larger screen, larger battery, but um, it was all. It was just that too. The S7 was flat. The S the S7 Edge was curved with a larger display. Um, but we're now seeing the the move, sort of the, the the company pushing that higher average sales price with the S8 with the S9 Plus. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's uh, that's an accident, and I only think that's going to get more intense as the generations go on. Am I wrong? It basically, there? it basically just speaks to kind of Samsung's whole approach with these phones. They don't want to leave customers behind, um, and by having the two different sizes, they realize that it's a ton more money to make two different phones of all these different SKUs and have them available, stocked everywhere, have slightly different parts available for repairs and all this kind of stuff. They wouldn't be doing all of that if they didn't see value in supporting a wider part of the market by having two different sizes. They've seen how well it's worked in the Apple world where it gives you the benefit of saying from 719 where mm-hmm. you still expect uh, now that things have flip-flopped, uh, probably a majority of people will be buying the $840 one instead of the $720 one. You can still advertise the smaller one. The people that do want it can have it. But you start to get that, like you said, average selling price up by having you know, uh, that $120 increase for the larger one is almost entirely profit. So it makes sense to have those two out there. Now, the bigger question is, you know, how do they step up the note line to be that next, next level of increasing the average selling price? So we're going to see that later in the year, obviously. But it really, I think, has switched to the plus model being the kind of standard one and the small one being the backup for people that don't want the bigger phone or just are really stretching to hit $720 and don't want to spend 840. And it's funny, you see the marketing really focusing on the dual aperture, not on that second camera, like last year yeah. with the Note 8. So 
Samsung doesn't really want you to feel bad about buying the smaller version. And even the marketing reinforces that. It's the same phone. It's just it just so happens that the larger version can it, it can subsume or it can it can swallow a few of those extra features because of that larger chassis and the slightly higher price. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I think I want to try the S9 and just see how it works. But we also know, Andrew, that the uh, that the S8 models, which are so close, we call them 90% of the S9, are getting Oreo in the next few days, if not already. The Verizon mm-hmm. version got updated today, and the other uh, carriers should be updating in the, in the next few weeks. Um, so for anybody with an S8, yeah, we argue that, or even with an S7, we argue that the S8 is probably a pretty good upgrade for that phone too. If you want to save a bit of money, yeah, and you can get them what for in the in the five hundred dollar range, right? Yeah, well, uh, a little like bit less between, than that actually. Between, okay, wow, yeah. I mean, again, it's always a pri- it's always a price game, right? But uh, and you know, different carriers have different options in buying unlocked. Um, used or refurbished phones always changes that, but it, it kind of throws those phones into a different arena when you start comparing them to the same price as a OnePlus 5T or something like that. So let's talk a little bit about camera before we move on. Andrew, you've used this phone more than any of us. How does the camera, how does how do the results look to you now compared to, say, the Pixel 2? I, I still love it. Uh, I feel like I, I don't know if I'm just not seeing some of the things that other people are seeing, but other people are really kind of getting a little harsh on the Galaxy S9 camera uh, just because it doesn't take the exact same photos as the Pixel 2, um, which I just don't see how that's really a, a you can really hate on it for that. People don't walk around like us with the Pixel 2 XL and a Galaxy S9 Plus in their pockets and take the same photo and then analyze them side by side. Um, They take a photo and they want to see the experience of how quickly you can pull it out, take a photo, and then quickly share it, and then how that photo looks on its own. And the Galaxy S9 just takes fantastic photos. And the fact that it takes more maybe simple fundamentally sound photos compared to the Pixel 2's just absolutely crazy processing and that it just brings out things that aren't there and makes amazing photos in the same way that I would personally edit a photo to look isn't a slight on the Galaxy S9's camera in any way. I still really, really, really like the photos that it takes and the things that it can do in low light in particular are amazing. It doesn't have to do any crazy processing it just has really good detail, really low noise in low light. And uh, Alex was just sharing a couple of photos with us earlier today in a dark bar situation. He said, you know, Galaxy S9 still wins it for dark bar photography. And I, I still I still believe that. Yeah, I mean, th- there's there's a couple things to take away from that. The first is when you don't need... HDR when you just need a really, really wide aperture to capture as much light as humanly possible, I, I guess an f1.5 lens is probably better, regardless of how much processing the, you know, the, the, the camera can do after the fact. You just need the most amount of light, and the S9 wins in that regard. I do mm-hmm. think that the, get, the, the Pixel 2 
wins outdoor low light because you you have that dynamic range, you have that contrast. You want to you want to prevent areas of light from blowing out, but also capturing those dark, shadowy areas um, and and getting as much detail from that as possible. So I think we'll see over the next few months until the Pixel 3 comes out, the S9 differentiating itself somewhat. If you just want the very, very lightest low-light photos, that's where the S9 is going to win. And look, there are other parts of the camera experience as well. We've always kind of put up with the camera experience on the Pixel 2 just because the photos were so amazing. But you can't really do anything with that camera. I mean, you... (laughs) you just point and you shoot. And I think that that's amazing. And it does a lot of it. it, It's the easiest way to go for most people. And even people like me that want to tinker with things can appreciate that you just point and you click The Samsung gives you a full manual mode. That's extremely uh, just filled with options. It gives you multiple different slow motion modes. You have multiple video recording modes. You have all these different things that you can tweak if you want to mess with it, but it also has not given up the ability to just double press the power button, open it up, take six or seven photos and be on your way. Uh, Samsung is definitely winning in that respect. Yeah, I don't, I I agree with you to some extent, but I actually think that's more of an Android problem than like a pixel problem because say the iPhone does the same thing. It doesn't allow you to shoot manual. It doesn't allow you to make any changes to the settings within the main camera app. But there are so many third-party apps that allow you to do that, and they're so easy to use that you can uh, quickly launch those alternatives and and use great manual modes. There There are few, if any, great pro camera apps in the Play Store, right? And... Mm-hmm. Even though the, the API is there, I think it's just harder to justify opening up one of those apps on a Pixel than it is on an iPhone. So with Samsung, they give it to you in one app. And I, I like that. I think that's actually the way to do it. Um, but technically, you should be able to do the same thing on the Pixel. It's just not really easy. Yeah. Which is stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Um. Russell, have you taken many photos with the S9s so far? No, I've taken uh, a couple of pictures just to kind of uh, see, you know, how how some of the the new features worked. Uh, I went and messed around a whole bunch with the AR emoji because uh, I'm a ten year old. And, and how you look? I like it. The, the you know, I've seen some some real mistakes uh, from from a couple of people who have used this, but it, it got me pretty quickly. Uh, you know, and and they're fun. You know, I've been sending them back and forth to to people. They, uh, you know, it's it's a fun mode that I will play with with friends, but will probably not share a whole lot publicly. So it will look like I am not using it. Uh, but it's something that I, you know, in my immediate circle of friends, is going to get used quite a bit. I found that once Samsung generates your AR emoji and then saves it, it creates a whole bunch of GIFs. Yeah. And, yep. And saves them to your camera roll, but it saves them to your main camera roll, not your not like a specially named one. So if Makes you have hard Google Photos, it uploads all of your GIFs right away without your permission. Isn't it great? So, no. And it's the best. <laughs> 
that made me crazy. I wanted to. Then I could share them from anywhere. I didn't even have to have my phone to share them when I was sitting at my desk. It was awesome. And it's like 15 of these things all at once. Yeah, it's not cool, Samsung. Put them in your own fucking folder. I'm just going to keep swearing today. The sound, it feels so good. Only things that matter. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just disrespectful. Every app creates its own folder so that Google Photos doesn't automatically upload them. I guess Samsung just thinks that it owns the joint, which it kind of does. Yeah. So what else? Is there anything else you want to talk about with the S9? I'm, I'm still jamming on it. I think it's a great phone. I don't hate the software as much as I thought I would. Um, I even, I mean, I'm even using the, the launcher right now, which. Yeah, I'm still using the launcher too. And I'm kind of up to the point where I've turned off all the things I want to turn off. And uh, I went in and hid, uh, using the Samsung launcher, hid all of the Samsung apps I'm never going to launch. And I'm kind of at the point now where I've really, I've got it paired back to where the only real differences are the, just the visual changes from my Pixel 2, not, you know, any functional, you know, cruft getting in the way. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm still waiting for a good case for it because every time I take it out, I, I feel like I'm going to drop it. I have my usual, jeez, um, what's it called? It's called an M Snap case that I have for like a half dozen other phones. It's going to be delivered today for the S9 Plus, and so I'll let you know if that one works out. But that's my go-to thin, hard shell case. M Snap. M Snap. M Snap. I wonder if Thrifter has that. Ooh. Hmm. I don't know. It's already pretty darn cheap. It's like seven dollars. Well, I think uh I think that's where we're gonna gonna smoothly transition into our sponsor. Keep um, going. We're talking about Thrifter, folks. Thrifter is the place to go where you only want to spend where it matters. You want to save some money on really good stuff. It could can be tech can be headphones could be some cool uh some some televisions some smart tvs could be some mechanical keyboards if you're looking to mash mash that like button with a really really good keyboard i don't know you actually use a mouse for that um anything you want you could actually save some money on i'm looking at this because i know none of you will pick it some presto plant-based all-purpose cleaner sorry russell if i Mm. stole that from you but uh Thrifter is the place to go for all of your great deals. As every week, as we do every week, we're going to go around and we're going to highlight one deal each. Hopefully it's not expired because I was looking for one and I was like, oh, I'm going to pick this. And then it was actually expired. But uh, Russell, what are you what are you jamming on this week for a thrifter? So uh, Super Smash Brothers is coming to the Nintendo Switch. Oh my God. Uh, which makes me super, super, super excited because I'm a huge Super Smash Brothers nerd. But uh, Thrifter actually found the, the the cheapest way to pre-order it by far. Uh, when you pre-order it, it's uh, 48 bucks instead of the 60 that you get for pre-ordering it directly from Nintendo. And you get a $10 gift card. I'm so excited about this. I spent, I would say, 80% of third year university sp- playing Super Smash Brothers on the, on the GameCube. Um, yeah. Super Smash Bros. Melee. Still my favorite fighting game ever. Mortal Kombat lovers, don't even don't even talk to me. Um, or S- Street Fighter. Like, what is that? Super Smash Brothers is amazing. Tekken what? 
Soul Calibur, kiss my butt. That's what it is. We've got super salty Daniel today, and I am so here for it. Honestly, I'm, I'm just such a fan. Super Smash Brothers Melee, I think, is probably the most enjoyable gaming experience I've ever had. I mean, it's it, good it's, stuff. It's probably because I spent it high and eating pizza with my roommates. That's We're learning way to go. contributing We're learning to that so nostalgia much about Daniel today. But I, I was having a good time with that. Um, I'm loving this Super Smash Brothers idea. Like, I was thinking about bringing the Switch to uh, South Africa with me on my trip. Didn't do it because I knew that I wouldn't play it much. But if I had Super Smash Brothers, I kind of would have played it all the time. So, yeah, can't wait. Is there any release date? Like, do we know anything about when this game's coming out? No, Nintendo just kind of teased it in their Nintendo Direct uh, that came out this past week. They really just kind of dropped it on everyone. But uh, there's a really good chance just based on how things are working that we'll get it by the summer. So thinking like June or July, uh, this will probably drop. But we'll get actual dates here within the next couple of weeks. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. It's going to be good times. Andrew, what are you thinking this week? Yo. Uh, I have... Uh, Amazon Basics AA rechargeable batteries, which I have a bunch of because, come on, stop buying uh, single-use batteries. Use rechargeables. You'll just buy them, and you will never have to buy batteries again. Uh, Well, I'm sure that you could wear them out eventually, but come on. Um, Instead of going to Costco or whatever and buying like a 70-pack of AA batteries because you still use them, buy eight AA batteries for $12 on Amazon and you just recharge them hundreds and hundreds of times. I use them mostly in my wireless keyboard and my Xbox one controller because those, even though this is like a modern console, you still have to use replaceable rechargeable batteries, Uh, but $12 save, save the planet. People don't, don't just use those single use batteries and throw them in the trash. Like everybody does. It's so bad. Um, I will I will double down on that and say not only are they good batteries because I bought them, but they're good looking batteries too. They have the the black and green color scheme going. Yep, good stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've actually found a lot of Amazon Basics products to be quite good. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're like um, Kirkland, like Costco Kirkland level good, but they're mostly mm-hmm. very high quality, which I and. I can get behind. Yeah, I use a lot of their HDMI cables are good. I I use their dog poop bags. <laughs> they are actually hey. very good. You you know, when you're and buying That's one place where you do not want the bag to give out, you know. Especially when you have a Great Dane. Yeah. No those kidding. things we started buying we bought uh cheaper bags when she was a puppy and that was a mistake. Let me tell you. Let me not tell <sighs> you actually and spare you Thank details. You. Um I'm going to go so you may have seen this because the AC account retweeted this from Thrifter, a 12-pack of Soylent. That is not my pick for this week. Do not drink Soylent. I am going to say this on the record, on the podcast. I will disagree with Thrifter's pick today. Uh, but if you do want to drink Soylent, there are three three flavors. So I don't, I don't know why you would because not that I think the product itself is bad. You know, if you want to drink your calories, go ahead. But I just don't understand why you wouldn't want to eat really delicious food with friends and family. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I had this conversation with some family the other day, and we were all in agreement. Soylent makes no sense. But if you're a coder, that 
doesn't want to interact with people as and the doesn't have friends and family soylent anyway. uh, community is embraced so heartily, uh, then do it, do, do what you got to do. So I'm going to, I'm going to, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to court the haters today. If I haven't already with the soylent comments by choosing the Apple AirPods, uh oh, as my pick for uh, for one hundred and forty dollars, I think the Apple AirPods are the best wireless Bluetooth earbuds you can buy right now. I've said this many times. Even if you are an Android user, you should buy the AirPods. Why? Because they are just Bluetooth headphones. In fact, I've been using them with my Galaxy S nine. And they work. They work so well. You just take them out of the thing. You put them in your ear. You look like a doofus, but that's okay because Correct. they are <laughs> because they are just so. They're so good. They're so versatile, and the case can be worn in a pocket. That's my issue with every other like standalone wireless earbud right now. Even the Jaybird Run, which actually sound better than the Air than the AirPods, the case is just too bulky. They don't fit easily in a pocket. So. Until some other company comes out with a product that is as comfortable and sounds as good as AirPods with a case that is as small as the AirPods, I'm just going to keep using them. And just um, so we're clear, that's Daniel at MobileNations.com, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. Please email Daniel at MobileNations.com. Um, so... Uh, and if you want to find the AirPods, they can be found for $140. That's $20 off at Costco. Um, yeah, please email Daniel at mobilenations.com all of your hate, especially uh, especially about how much you hate Windows. Um, so that's it for this all week. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's it for this week with Thrifter. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show as always. And if you want to get their newsletter in your inbox every morning, you can sign up on their homepage. Okay, let's move on. And let's talk about a, a weird thing that happened this week. Andrew, Android Wear is dead. What is, what, Wait, what, what, what we, it wasn't already? Whoa. If it wasn't already. Um, tell us a little bit about what Google did with uh, Android Wear this week. So after not doing much of anything with Android Wear for like 18 months... Uh, Google comes out and goes, okay, it's no longer called Android Wear anymore. It's called Wear OS. But don't confuse it with Apple's naming scheme for operating systems. This is capital W Wear space OS, uh, because that's just going to get super confusing to people. And the reason why they wanted to remove the Android name, they say, is that they want to make it seem like it's its own operating system, not necessarily an extension of Android. And they say that their statistics show that a third of people with modern Android Wear watches were using them with iPhones, which seems in insane, completely bonkers to me. But they don't think that that Android brand really does much uh, to convey the fact that it does work with iOS. Um, I guess that makes sense. It's, uh, it's, it's a terrible experience. Right, because you have this uh, this issue with all non-Apple Watch wearables on iOS that they don't have direct access to notifications and things like that. That was part of the reason why Android Wear, uh, for all of its issues, that it's really good on Android is that it has a direct pipeline into the notifications and it can provide a near seamless experience there. It has all kinds of other issues, but that's that's 
the weird thing. But it does kind of align with the fact that Google has clearly been really pushing its partnerships with all of these, uh, not luxury watchmakers, fashion type brands that don't really care as much about the fact that it's Android. They just want to have a smart watch platform. And this makes sense from that perspective. So all, you know, you have all these known mechanical watch brands getting in on the smartwatch game. Google can provide Wear OS to them and they can market it evenly to Android and iOS owners. Uh I, I know. I'm not trying to justify it. <laughs> I'm just saying that is what they're thinking, and I guess that makes sense. So, I mean, I, I love some of the hot takes from this yesterday because um, a lot of people are saying, well, Google is abandoning Android because so many of its products are losing the Android name. We had Android Pay. It's now Google Pay. Uh, you know, we have um, – we, we, we had um, – uh, wait, there was one more that I'm forgetting. I don't know, whatever. But we also have um, Android Wear. It's now moving to Wear OS. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a shift within Google to, I would say, re, um, rebrand or, or at least kind of reposition a lot of its n- more nerdy products into a more mainstream position. But I think I think Android Wear was in, was a, uh, a, a different position only because most Android, most associations with Android are with phones and it's still got sort of a nerdy connotation and Android Wear has not grown in the traditional ways over the last couple of years, right? There's no Samsung, there's no LG or, I mean, Huawei will just pretend doesn't make any um, Android Wear watches. The the growth has come from lifestyle brands, Fossil mm-hmm. being the biggest one, right? Fossil Group, owns basically every single major watch brand, right? Michael Kors, uh, Fossil itself. Kate we have, Spade. Um, Kate Spade. We have uh, this one that Scoggin. I'm wearing on my wrist right now from Scoggin, which I like a lot, actually. It's really nice. So there's just a shift in the way that people are perceiving the smartwatch platform. And I don't think this is as much about iPhone users as it is about just giving these lifestyle brands a more versatile name to advertise the operating system that runs on its, on its smartwatches. I think that that's the huge point is that Android, the, the name was clearly not a driver of sales in any way. Nobody was like, Oh, I have this Fitbit watch here and I have an Android wear watch and I have, you know, whatever else. Oh, Android. Yeah, that's definitely the one I want because it had no kind of it had no brand loyalty at all, really. When you especially, I mean, just look at the phone space like you said, you have people want a Samsung phone. They really don't they don't go in looking at it in a broad sense as I need an Android phone. So that brand obviously was not going to carry anything over into the into the wearable space. Russell, do you see the Android brand itself going away over the next couple of years? I, it's certainly possible. The Android brand was never uh, was never fully successful. That's not to say that Android hasn't been fully successful, but Android, the word as a as a brand, 
Uh, you know, in in the early days, it, it got shortened to Droid uh, because Verizon was the the primary seller, and Droid phones were the the big popular thing. And it got uh, there are still people today who who you know say, oh, I have a Droid phone. You know, there, there's no <sighs> there's no um, like like Andrew said, there's no brand loyalty there to the name Android aside from the thing that isn't an iPhone. Uh, and so it it wouldn't surprise me to to see Google go the route of of a new branding decision, something that was more universal and and you know kind of uh, less less tied to this kind of techie name uh, as a way to to unify these experiences uh, in in people's minds. But now we have the problem of. Uh, <laughs> This is just a name change, and they're going to start pushing it out everywhere. The Android Wear app is going to become like the Wear OS app on your phone. The the boot animation on your all these existing watches is now going to say Wear OS. But nothing else has changed. The entire experience is the same, and it's still. It's not like this was a fantastic watch platform that was just being held back by the name. It's the people haven't really gravitated toward like people have bought Android wear watches and have not bought a second one or even continued to use the one that they bought. That is a, that is an issue that goes deeper than branding. Yeah. I mean, as long as we have to charge our watches every night, I think the user experience will never be ideal. And the fact that this, that the watches themselves use hardware that was popular three years ago also uh, is a problem. Yeah. So, you know, that I don't think that's going to change either. Um, yeah, that Scoggin watch on your wrist is using the exact same platform as a watch released like two years ago. Yep, absolutely. And that's why it's the same size and shape and has the same kind of performance and the same battery life. Right. And I mean, these are all, these are all issues that I, um, you know, I don't think are, are going to get fixed overnight by a brand name change. But I do think that it does position Android Wear, or at least the future hardware that's affiliated with the now Wear OS, as a, I don't know, something that at least has a bit more staying power. It's not, it's, it, doesn't ha- it doesn't hinge on the successes or failures of Android, the platform. So, you know, I, I think in the long run, this is probably just going to be a good thing because it's it's now completely independent. Even though it's still based on Android, don't get me wrong, but it's 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 in a better position than it was. Well, that brings up a good point as well that it doesn't matter what it runs. I mean, we talked about this a lot with the when the Gear S three came out and the Gear Sport. Um, it didn't really matter the fact that it ran Tizen versus Android Wear. Tizen enabled um, enabled Samsung to do a lot of interesting things in the interface. Uh, it went overboard in a lot of cases, but it, it enabled it to do something completely different that was built properly for the hardware. And it let Samsung make a lot of interesting apps and things like that. Because let's be honest, the app ecosystem for Android Wear has has come and gone, withered and died, whatever you want to say, just in the same way that its uh, sales and market share have. And whether it's full-fledged apps that you know let you play YouTube videos on your wrist or even just watch faces and things like that, it just hasn't grown in the same way. And so this 
open nature and anybody can bring, you know, their app and make an app on, on Android Wear hasn't really mattered. So it didn't really necessarily matter that it was Android underneath anyway. So, I mean, I, I find this interesting too, Andrew, because apps on all smartwatch platforms have largely failed. It's not just an yes, Android. You're right. thing. It's not, it's not just that. Yeah. So I just think that the, that the sort of like transplanting the traditional app experience to a, to a wrist, that idea from three, four years ago, I think that's just failing. Like that's just not what people want. So we've repositioned smartwatches to be fitness focused, like the Apple watch or the Fitbit Ionic or on Android Wear, just as like literally a, like a regular watch replacement with notifications. And those are the, those are the two use cases I see continuing in the long term. Because uh, Android Wear's uh, you know Google Fit situation is just horrendous from a fitness tracking quality standpoint. So, but I, I've so I've received three watches over the last uh, few months from lifestyle uh, you've brands. You've only got two wrists. I know. I, I I wear three of them. One on my ankle because it's wow. It's yeah. I I can't leave the house. Um, but it's you know what what I find interesting is that none of them have uh they don't have uh, heart rate monitors on them, heart rate sensors. This is something that Android Wear has just done so poorly. The experience, as you said, has been so lacking in in, in metrics that most people don't care about that data. Uh, whereas Fitbit, I mean, th- this week Fitbit released or announced its new cheaper 199 smartwatch, the Fitbit Versa. And it's, you know, it doubles down on that fitness the the, the fitness play and this is going like right head to head with the apple watch like this is not competing with anything wear os related at all does this interest you at all like the 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 fitbit i the fitbit ionic the fitbit versa like do these products interest you at all from um like a usability perspective are you are you this is basically based on the the pebble OS, right? Um, it is not my thing. <laughs> it's something that I want to see more on because I did like the, you know, the the last, you know, kind of phase of the Pebble OS where it moved to this kind of timeline uh, design and they had just a tremendous amount of third-party support for some very clever things that, that were being done with the platform that really aren't being done elsewhere. Some of which just, you know, are nerdy looking watch faces, but others were, you know, there was a lot of work done from third parties in, in sleep tracking and, and people really listening to developer or developers really listening to users and making a lot of changes on the fly and uh, some some very cool ecosystem things that were happening there that I'm eager to see how uh, you know how any of that moved over into this this new platform. Uh, but also, you know, th- there are a lot of people who want the the Fitbit style tracking that does just a little bit more and that that seems like exactly what this is so i'm i'm pretty eager to see how this stacks up to to you know the experiences that people had with the the pebble of old so andrew i'm interested though because you've used the samsung uh gear fit 2 the gear sport why does the Mm -hmm. fitbit equivalent of those products not really interest you uh it's not necessarily the fitbit equivalent part it's that i'm not i'm also not wearing the gear fit 2 
or the gear sport okay, anymore. So you've like abandoned those fitness wearables entirely. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. So it, it's just more that Fitbit hasn't shown me anything that's going to make me want to go back to having another thing to manage, another thing to charge, mm. and another thing buzzing uh, when I really don't, I really don't need another thing buzzing. Um, I, I've gone more and more to my phone stays on silent a lot of the time. My phone, like, will just go in my backpack, or it'll just be somewhere else in the house when I'm sitting on my computer. I just, I don't need another thing showing me notifications that most of the time are not important unless it's a phone call. You know, important right that minute, and. The fitness aspect, yes, I do miss a little bit of that, which would kind of maybe put me more back into the like kind of a standard Fitbit arena. Like it just does the tracking and not all of the smartwatch stuff. But I've really just just haven't been able to stick with with a smartwatch, uh, a full on you know, smartwatch platform. Yeah, I've been using the Ionic for the last couple of months, and it stayed on my wrist, surprisingly, but I still don't care about the data. I use it mainly just to get notifications on my wrist. Um, Russell, I know you've been doing a lot with uh, fitness and, and you know trying to track uh, your, your, your weight, your eating. Has, has a smartwatch, has a fitness band kind of played into that at all? Yeah, so weirdly, I uh, I found myself using the Apple Watch uh, because I really enjoy the Rings system. Uh, if I had a wish for anything on the planet, it would be for Apple to let literally any other piece of technology use the Rings system. Uh, you know, even if it was just badly copied by someone else, uh, just because I really like the the visual for it. I like the award system that that is attached to it. I, I like. The, the way that it tracks, but I don't really enjoy wearing the Apple Watch and it doesn't really work well with a lot of the other stuff that I use. It's really just the fitness parts of it work very well. Mm. Uh, so I, uh, I I enjoy that aspect of it, but it's uh, it's something that I would I would gladly see merged into other platforms if for no other reason than to have a place that I could I could share that data with multiple sources because like, you know, the stuff I put in the Apple watch, I can't really export anywhere else. It doesn't, I can't integrate it into Google fit. I can't integrate it into Samsung fit. Uh, and I switch phones too often to be tied to one like super lockdown platform. Right. Uh, so it's, it, you know, this is kind of a, you know, first world tech blogger problem, but you know, something like Fitbit appeals to me because I can use it and, and it, ties into everything you know i can i can export stuff from fitbit fitbit and import it into apple when i'm using that stuff into android when i'm using that stuff into samsung when i'm using that stuff and i i wish that that this platform allowed a little bit more of that integration but uh for the stuff that it does it does very well i'm surprised that you haven't tried fitbit yet because that is the one platform that can live at least to some extent across ios and android and i think on one hand, the social aspect of Fitbit is better than it is on on on, um, on the Apple Watch, and on the other on the other hand, even though it doesn't have the equivalent of the Rings, it does have that sort of like reinforcement: you're doing great, or you're not doing well enough, bugging you, kind of edging you, like getting you closer to the to your daily fitness goal. 
it does a pretty good job of that, in my opinion. It's it, this is something that I I do want to explore a lot more of this year is you know kind of alternatives and and how all of this stuff works. Uh, I I picked this one just because it was it was nearby and uh, and it was something that I was able to use consistently for for a while. Whereas most other fitness tracker smartwatch things, the moment that it wasn't on my wrist. Uh, like all of the Android Wear watches and and some of the other things that I had worn, the the moment that I went one day without it on my wrist and didn't miss it, then it lived in a drawer forever and I never put it back on. Which I suspect is probably why Andrew doesn't wear uh, any of these uh, these fitness trackers on, or watches on a regular basis. Yeah. As soon as they are, as soon as you realize that they are useless, then they remain useless. And and yep. That one time that you, uh, you know, you drop it on the charger at night and it doesn't charge. And then the next day you wear, you you know, you don't wear it because it wasn't ready to go in the morning. And you're like, oh, I didn't really miss not having it on. Yeah, that's so true. I I find it interesting how so many people have had that same experience. Yeah. And what this really came down to with with the Apple Watch uh, was that I, I haven't had that moment yet. You know, the. The battery on the Series Three will last me more than a day. So if I do have a, a you know a screw up with the charger, or I'm not somewhere where I have a charger, then it still gets used the next day because uh, it gets me r- almost two full days uh, with uh, with the charge that it's got. And the fitness stuff works. It's you know it it ties into the the stuff that that I use. So if I can get that experience from a Fitbit, uh, then I suspect that I would change pretty quickly and be happy with the change uh, with with some of these new. Uh, versions that are out especially because i i did greatly appreciate the you know kind of the the nerdy stuff that was happening with the the pebble experience and hope that fitbit you know rescued a bit of that so speaking of fitness uh you were big into pokemon go last summer was it now two summers ago no uh, a year and a half ago and wait it was two summers ago holy crap time flies and i you know i know that got you out and walking a lot um, Google announced a, an initiative this week that makes its maps API available to developers to integrate into AR games and, and specifically, uh, games that are built with unity. Russell, tell us a little bit about why this is a big deal and what implications this will have for the future of AR games in general yeah so this was this actually started out kind of fascinating because it started out at a thing at south by southwest that none of us went to hmm. uh which <laughs> which sucks i kind of wish and that i was there you've for it all, you've said that now i've worked with you three years it's set you've said that every year since i've known you by the way that you should be at south yeah. by southwest somebody should be there yeah and uh next year maybe i'll just yeah it won't be next year but yeah we'll keep saying it the uh the event that Google had, they were showing off all of these different augmented reality things uh, that are upcoming. Ghostbusters uh, has a, an augmented reality game coming out where you're going to be able to catch ghosts. And there, there were a couple others. And we had known that these games were on the way out uh, and, and that they were doing some cool new things with augmented reality. And some of them were doing cool new things with AR core uh, to make them seem more realistic as you're, as you're out in the world. But what we didn't know was that all of these were using the this new Google Maps underlying thing. Uh, which is this API layer that gives these developers access to real-time Google Maps data uh, in very much the same way that Pokemon Go and Ingress had this this kind of real-time access to to Maps data. 
And that's that's a huge deal for these apps as far as accuracy, because the whole point of these games is as you're out, you're walking around and, and you're relying on these maps to get to different places. And having used some of the weird Pokemon Go clones that came out after Pokemon Go, uh, the, the moment that that map isn't accurate anymore, it stops being fun. You know, if you can't get to the thing that you're trying to get to, then what's the point? And so this by by having this easy access uh, to this this system, it's something that uh, developers don't have to do a lot of work for. They can very quickly drop this map data in and then overlay whatever they want over top of that map data and really kind of mess with the the top visual in a bunch of different ways. And it's it's the same basic platform that you get with something like Ingress or Pokemon Go and the ability to move around on the map in order to accomplish these goals. And so they've they've created this this very simple system that any developer can use, and in, in exchange, uh, all you have to do is you know give Google the location tracking data in the anonymized way that that Google's already catching from things like Pokemon Go and Ingress, which is just saying that there's an active user doing this thing. So Google has <laughs> has created just this really fascinating tool that is going to make building augmented reality games, not clones of Pokemon Go, but just any kind of augmented reality game, uh, a lot of fun. But it's also going to make it so that no other map system is going to come anywhere close to competing on this level. Because like the, Apple could turn around tomorrow and say that we have an AR platform uh, for, for our mapping data, and basically no one's going to use it. Right. So the the comparison there is amazing. Even though um, AR Kit is arguably more robust from a um, kind of from a, a like a low level perspective when it comes to hardware capabilities, Google knows that mapping data goes hand in hand with all of these AR experiences, and that developers, even if they're developing for AR Kit on iOS, they're probably going to need this Maps API somewhere in their app. Yeah, so there's two things happening there that are really interesting for the future of kind of augmented reality apps. The first is, you know, this this map reliance is important to people, uh, but also, uh, you know, AR Kit may be more uh, more functional in in highly localized places like the space right in front of you, uh, but AR Core is actually built not only in uh, it's it's built to work in both, uh, you know, locally on your device, but also on the web. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, so yeah. it has a it has a lot of native web applications as well, which which really increases the potential for developers to use AR Core and then also use AR Kit for the iOS version of something instead of building first on AR Kit and then and then kind of backloading it to AR uh, to AR Core. Uh, so like Google's playing this really interesting long game when it comes to augmented reality stuff that I don't think has been fully realized yet. I think that the next year of augmented reality apps are going to be a lot more interesting than what we've seen in this first year because of it. Very, very interesting. I'm, you know, I wasn't a Pokemon Go player for very long, but I do love, I mean, especially with the summer coming up, I love this idea. Like there's a new Harry Potter AR experience coming up. Uh, When is that releasing, by the way? Uh, Uh, We don't have a... We don't have a date yet, I don't think, but it's uh, the Wizards Unite. Yeah, uh, made by Niantic. Is, yep, Niantic is uh, is responsible for it, and we don't have a lot of details about how the game is going to work yet, but we're also we're getting that this year. We're also getting a massive visual and content overhaul to Ingress. It's basically going to be a whole new game. 
uh, the the way that the story is changing and the gameplay is changing and and the visuals are all being improved. Uh, Niantic's hoping that that will you know bring a bunch of people back to that game as well. So this is this summer is going to be pretty interesting for augmented reality games. People are going to be wandering around with their phones doing all kinds of silly stuff. Yeah, can't wait to bump into some of them on the sidewalk as I did two years ago. And if you thought people throwing Pokeballs were annoying, wait until they are casting spells at you. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of games, our last sponsor of the podcast is GameStash. And this is a service that I have actually been spending more time on than I thought I would. Uh, On all those flights I mentioned, you know, there was only an hour of Andrew and Alex's podcast. The rest of the time I spent playing GameStash well, some of it I spent sleeping, but a lot of it I spent playing Game Stash. This is a service you spend $5 a month and you have access to over 300 full Android games. It's not just games that you would download and have to pump money into for loot crates. This is the full game. If a game is free to play, it has been adapted for Game Stash to be available to you uh, without spending any additional money, which is really neat and the way that I would prefer to play most of my games. And if it was premium, it is now just fully available to you. You don't have to put up any money at first. It is the Netflix of gaming services, not just in terms of the, the subscription model, but also in terms of the quality. These games are highly vetted. Every game is extremely, extremely high quality. It plays well on all types of Android hardware, and it is available for $5 per month. That is super inexpensive. In fact, you can sign up today and get a full month of free GameStash service by going to gamestash.com slash acpod. That is gamestash.com slash acpod. And you can sign up right now. It is super fun. Play Badland. If you haven't played Badland before, it's an older game, but it's a goodie. It's well worth your time. That's gamestash.com slash acpod. All right, guys, I think that's where we're going to leave it for today, unless y'all have any other takes that are of the hot variety. All out of hot takes for the moment. Don't worry, I'll I'll reload. I know you will. We have a week. (laughs) We have a week to think about uh, what we're going to talk about next week. I have a weird S9 thing real quick. Give it. it. Is it weird for either of you that underneath of the flash on the back of the S9, you can just see a lot more of the hardware. Oh, I like that. Like the the sensors you can like it's not just the heart rate sensor anymore. There's there's a lot more going on under there and it's just you can see chips. Mm. And I It's like, kind of neat. I I dig like the the retro tech look where like the whole back is clear and I can see like I can see the whole back uh, exposed because we've seen, you know, like mods where you can do that with phones and that's kind of cool, but like this weird little window into the the sensors uh, it's it's I don't know it bugs me a little it bugs not, you. not enough to not enough to like actually it, it was really just because I was staring at it when you said something uh, I don't know it just feels like exposed it's almost like exposed wire like it's not there's there's nothing that could possibly go wrong there but it just I don't know the more I look at it the more I'm like oh is this is it safe hmm. which is an irrational thought but apparently 
Well, I like that we have such diversity of opinions and color and uh, and and exposed wire. Exposed sensors. It, although we can actually touch this exposed area because it's it's the heart rate monitor and it's the oxygen saturation sensor as well. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, I like that Samsung has just not gotten rid of that even though nobody uses it. I guarantee you Correct. absolutely zero people use that now. Um, that's probably not true. It must be trivially, trivially easy to keep that in there. If you do if use you it, can't. listeners, please tell us. Um, let us know. Podcast at AndroidCentral.com. And uh, tell us what else you like about the Galaxy S9, what else you don't like about it. We'll inevitably talk about it next week because Jerry hopefully will be here. He couldn't make it this week, but we'd love to hear his take on the latest Samsung phones. Um it's only a couple months till Google I.O., so that'll be fun. And uh, we got a lot more stuff to talk about next week, so we will join. We will be back then. Andrew, Russell, thank you so much. Thank you, Daniel. Thank uh, you. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everybody.